Turn with me, if you would, please, to Acts chapter 8. Let's begin reading with verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch, under authority, under Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and he come to Jerusalem for to worship. And returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. <clears throat> then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. It was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his sharer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet? This of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. As they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. They went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. I made reference in this brochure that you received Concerning salvation as to who it was for, and I said that salvation preached here is to sinners, whether they be declared or religious. I want to remind you of the truth. A declared sinner is one that we identify as non-religious. He lives out in sin, he lives on the streets, and he just never became a Baptist or a Methodist or a Pentecostal, whatever what he is, he's non-religious. And sometimes it seems a lot easier for a person like that to get saved than it does for a religious person to be saved. But a religious person that we identify as someone who's a church member. Someone maybe who grew up in church, but somewhere along the way he joined the church. But this is what I want you to remember. It is impossible for a declared sinner to understand a religious sinner. And it is impossible for a religious sinner to understand a declared sinner. You can accept one or the other, but you can't understand them. And we think we can understand anybody who gets saved. But what a declared sinner goes through is the same thing a religious, go, religious sinner goes through, except... Their repentance is over different things. 
Usually the declared sinner repents over all the wicked works that he's done. Where the religious sinner has to repent over all the good works that he's done that are wicked. And it is more difficult to repent over good works that are bad than it is bad works. It's easy to see the wickedness of sin. It's easy to see the depravity of heart and soul. But when you're a religious sinner, it is difficult to get past your own goodness. All you can see is how good you are. You've been going to church. You've been praying prayers. You've been witnessing. You've been working on the committees in the church. And you've been doing everything for the preacher. And you've been supporting it. And you've been giving your tithes and your offerings. And, and you're just about the most religious person in town. Until the Holy Ghost comes along and starts dealing with you about your sin problem. And you say, I have no sins. Look at all the good things that I'm doing. See, nothing stands between the religious sinner and his God any more than his trust and his goodness. Oh, the rich young ruler was good, but his goodness stood between him and righteousness. And I want you to know that when God deals with the religious sinner... Give him time to repent. So how much time does it take? Ever how long it takes to repent. For repentance to become genuine. See the sower who went forth to sow. Sow good seed. And Jesus said that's out of an honest and good heart. Folks before any person ever is saved. He must get honest. But his heart is dishonest. You can't become honest on your own. You say, well, I'm not a liar. Do you, some of you who are religious, I know you well. Do you remember when God started telling you you was lost and you told him no? You were dishonest. Because he told you you were lost and you told him you weren't. Hmm. You know, repentance, that works a change of God, that works a change of mind in you. He works it to where you say to him, oh yes, I'm everything that you say that I am. Now you may have put it into the words, but that's the way it operates. But it takes a religious sinner a while to come to the grips that he is lost and to blame for his sin. So, hey folks, Religious people getting under conviction scares other religious people. And I think some of the greatest some of the greatest horrors to churches is when a religious person gets saved. I found this to be true. There are a lot of pastors who want religious people to get saved, but they're talking about the ones that have been to church in the last ten or twenty years. They're thrilled when that crowd gets saved, but you better not let their chief deacon get saved. Or you better not let the pastor get saved. You do, you got trouble in the community. You better not let one of those dear little sweet ladies who's been there in the church and serving all those years get under the Holy Ghost conviction and say, I just believe I'm lost. Everybody's going to come to her aid and say, I've been knowing you for years and years and years. There's no way you can be lost. You're the sweetest person that's ever come along. I mean, you've graced this church and, and everything is just fine. What do you mean you're lost? Now, the reason they're trying to talk her out of it is because God's going to talk them into being lost just like with her. And they're scared if she's lost, they are. Amen. Do you understand? 
Now stay with me because I'm, I'm trying to work my way into this one. Because this guy had been up to Jerusalem to worship. Now I know he, he wasn't worshiping in the same order that we do. And he was worshiping in the Judaism. I know that. I recognize that. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. Religiousosity is the greatest problem that we're facing today. Because you can fill churches with programs. I want to make this statement as careful as I, as I can. There are no magic words, formalized plans, or program prayers that bring salvation to sinners. Now, can I rerun that just one more time? Because I tried to carefully say this as best I can. There are no magic words, formalized plans, or program prayers that bring salvation to sinners. Now, I don't know what you went through when you got saved, but I was highly religious. And I thought if I formalized my words just right, God saved me. And I can remember laying on the floor, meticulously forming my prayer. And I said, Lord, I'm lost. Now, this would have worked. But it was my plan, not his. You understand? It was my words I chose to say. Not that which delivered me the day I got saved. Because when I got saved, the things I said, I'd never heard anybody else say. And by the way, in this story, this is the story. The only story in all of the book of Acts where anything is recorded about what they said when they got saved. I tried to formalize it. I see a declared sinner. He may just realize he's lost the sinner and come and say, God saved me and God saves him just like that. And here comes that religious sinner to formalize his. And when he formalizes it just right, he says the words and it doesn't work. That's what happened to me. I formalized it. I remember laying there and I say, Lord, I'm lost and I'm going to trust you as my Savior right now. And our conviction was still in me. It didn't move. It didn't budge one bit. But I tell you when it did budge. Shoo-wee. <laughs> when I finally quit trying to help him save me. And that's when those two words came in. Thank you. And I just said, thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving my soul. Never heard anybody else say that. Didn't have to have anybody else say that. That's what happened to me. And that's when God saved me. Now, what this... What this man says when he is saved doesn't fit the theology and the modernistic plans of salvation. He didn't say, God be merciful to me a sinner. Now, I really don't care what you say when you get saved. I don't care what you said, and I don't care whether you said anything that you remember or not, as long as there was a divine change took place in you. He said, do you believe that... That uh, a person gets saved not remember what they said. I believe some people get saved before they say anything. See, it's an exercise of the heart. That I believe some people, they just step out and when they get that, but I mean in their hearts they believe in it. God saves them before they get the words out. See, I believe the D.O. joins an N.E. before you can know what happened. I mean, you come to get to do it, and before you can do it, it's done. Somebody says, well, I got to formalize it just right. 
with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And when the heart believes unto righteousness, what difference does it make what you say as long as it gets the job done? But I like to remember what I said. But out of, the, out of the five stories in the book of Acts, only one of them records what's said and the rest of them, we don't know what they said. And you know why that is? So that we don't formalize it and pour it in a mold and tell everybody, if you'll say these words, you're saved. There are no plans, Roman roads, easy believism, four spiritual laws or anything. There is the word of God and whatever God wants to use, It'll work. And if he wants to use the Roman road, you're under condition, I'm for it. If he wants to use any kind of law, I'm for anything that works. There's got to be genuine. <laughs> Amen. Whew, you say, well, how do you know whether it's genuine or not? You can tell it. After a while, it's going to break out on them. <laughs> if they really genuinely got saved, time will tell. But what I'm telling you is, what he said is not what the religionists believe. The modernistic preachers of this day want to say, like I heard one on TV not too long ago, and I don't watch them very often, but what he said is this. Jesus said, if you'll pray this prayer, you'll be saved. I thought myself, where did Jesus say that? But he told that huge crowd of people that Jesus said, if you pray this prayer, and then he prayed that prayer. And he told the whole congregation. This is what amazed me. He just didn't tell the sinners to pray the prayer. He said everybody that's here pray the prayer. Well, if that's not wholesale, I don't know what wholesale is. But for him to say, Jesus said, if you pray this prayer. And when he prayed the prayer, what he said was this. Now, since you prayed that prayer, you're saved. You're saved. Send in for the information since you're a born-again believer, and welcome to the family of God. I thought, welcome to the family of God, my, my soul. How they know who got saved out of that big bunch? And now who said Jesus said this little formalized prayer? Hey, folk, you're not going to pour him in a mold. And you're not going to pour his salvation in a mold. Salvation is of the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. We may good to believe him, but, but hallelujah, it's the Holy Ghost who works that on the inside of us so we can believe Oh, but what I want you to see is, he just didn't say, God be merciful to me, a sinner, and neither did he say, I'm lost, save me. Now, can I deal with that just a moment? Because even with us, sometimes we get so, so pinpointed that we think everybody's got to say the word, I'm lost. Now, I've already dealt with that the other morning, that the word lost is not in the book of Acts at all. Not one time. Is it tra it's only translated, the Greek word is only translated one time in the entire book of Acts. Out of all the salvation experiences of those in Acts, the word lost doesn't appear in any salvation experience. It is used as perish one time, but that's not in relationship to lost folks. You say, well, what are you saying? I know Jesus, the gospel says that he came to seek and to save that which is lost. And that Jesus wants us to know that they're lost. But the sinner doesn't have to say the words that I'm lost in order to get saved. But there will be a consciousness of lostness on the inside of him of separation from God. And if it is a work of the Holy Ghost and there is a separation from God, whether he says the words or not, he is lost. And I like for somebody to say I'm lost. I like for somebody to say I'm lost. But what I'm saying is he doesn't have to say the words at the particular time. If you did, great. 
That's marvelous. That's good. But don't pour the person next to you in a moment. I'll settle for I was man, I'll settle for God be merciful to me a sinner. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll settle for anything, like I said, that trusts Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you something what I believe. When faith is exercised, it is exercised toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe the person also knows that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and died for his sins. I don't think he's ignorant, and I don't think his faith has no object. I think his faith has an object, and that object is the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on Calvary's cross. I don't believe he can be saved without the knowledge of the cross. I think he has to know that. But to pour him in some kind of mold that he's got to say certain words that will hinder his faith. Because it will cause him to trust in the prayer itself rather than the object of the prayer. Hey, and can I say something else? Salvation, salvation is not what you're after. Brother Claude, we're not after what he can give us. We're after him. down me this morning. What's the Bible say? But as many as received a plan. No. As many as received salvation. No. But as many as received him. To them give you power to become the sons of God. I'm going to say something. Don't you miss this. I love this cross. I love its symbolism. But it's not your believing on this cross. It's your believing in Jesus Christ. And the cross was the part of salvation that he performed for you. And when you get him, you get all that the cross represents. But you know, some people want Jesus for what he can do for them. Hey, if you're lost today... Be careful with your own selfishness. Why do you want to get saved? He said, well, I don't want to go to hell. Wrong reason. He said, well, I, I want to get saved so I can feel better and do better. Be a better person. Wrong reason. And what is it God wants to give you? He that hath the Son hath life. He wants to give you Jesus. My soul. My, 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 my. Hey, 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 hey. You're not after what he's got. You're after who he is. And if you get him, you got everything he's got. But we're always trying to get what he has. Oh God, give me what you got. Give me what salvation is and give me salvation. Hey, what he wants you to come and take Jesus as your personal Savior. Exercise your faith toward Jesus. And I know, I know sometimes you say yes, sometimes you say I do, sometimes you say forgive me, and it works. Only because your heart is extended toward a person. Amen? Do you see what I'm saying? 
Man, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to tell you that God in heaven wants you to love His Son. He wants you to want His Son. And He wants you to know that Jesus is the one who's the key to the salvation. I'm coming. I'm, I'm just about going to get to my text. But I want to ask you, what did Philip preach to that unit? And what he said is this. He began at that same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Don't you forget the purpose of the Holy Ghost and the scripture is to get you through to a person. Not to give you a plan. Not to give you a thing. It's to get you to a person who is the gift of God and who has the everlasting life to give to you. I tell you, I don't know whether anything's running over y'all or not, but there's just something just keeps running all over me this morning. See, I, I love this area. Hey, if it's any area in my life, this is it right here. Like I told you when I started, I've been accused all across this country that Charles Shipman doesn't know anything else except salvation. And I finally pleaded guilty. That's exactly right. And I think some of the rest of you have been accused of that same thing as preachers. Are we ready to look at this now? My introductions are getting longer and longer and longer. I got one more thing to say in the introduction. And I've just dealt with part of that, but religious sinners have a tendency to look for what Jesus can do for them rather than who he is unto them. They want what he has for them more than they want him. But there's a reason for that. Misguided, misled, or deceived before, when they became religious sinners, they're determined that they'll not be misled, misguided again. Therefore, their attitude is, I want the real thing, and I won't settle for anything else the real thing. Until I get the real thing, I'm not going to believe it. Now, that sounds good, but it can be a hindrance to your faith. You listen to me. The greatest hindrance to religious sinners is their determination not to have anything but the real thing. Now, how can that be a hindrance? It can be a hindrance if you allow it. It's a good thing. I said the same thing. I said, I'll not settle for anything but the real thing. That's good. But that can become a hindrance. Because when you pray for God to save you, you're going to wait on Him to save you. And as soon as He saves you, you're going to believe you got it. But He won't do it that way. That's not faith. That's sight. Beneath the cross, they said, come down that we may see and believe thee. That's human nature. I want to see it to believe it. I want to get it before I believe I got it. When I get it, I'm going to believe I have it. Is that faith? No, that's not faith. That's sight. 
But what's that religious person want? He wants something genuine that he's not deceived again. So he's waiting on God to give him the salvation. And as soon as he's got it, he's got the assurance. But what did Jesus say? He didn't say see and believe. He told Martha in John 11, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldst believe, you'd see the glory of God. So you know what happens to the religious sinner? He gets at the altar and says, Lord, save me! And he waits. And he waits. Now, I'm not being critical of that, but I did that until I couldn't think of anything else to pray. <laughs> Whoo, I don't know how some of you did, but I prayed everything I'd ever heard anybody else pray. I did everything I'd ever heard anybody else do. And I got for me, and I prayed it, I said it, I did everything, and none of it worked. You know why? Because I wanted the real thing so bad, I wasn't going to settle for it until he gave it to me. And he wouldn't give it to me. I look back now. I can laugh here today, but I'm laughing in a good, good way, not a bad way. Oh, well, let me tell you something. I, that's why I can put it. I was dealing with this young man one time up in Ohio, and he didn't know whether he was saved or lost. So he got to the altar and he prayed, "If I'm lost, save me." And he'd wait, see if anything happened. Doesn't happen. Then he'd say, Lord, if I'm saved, show me. He'd wait, he'd wait. Now he, he's on it. I mean, he's at the altar on his knees doing this. I mean, he's just as sincere and honest as he can be. And the Lord wouldn't show him this, so he'd get over here and say, Lord, if I'm lost, save me. And I think he thought about his pride probably being too much, so he got praying like pretty good. You know, Lord, I'm, if I'm lost, save me. And he'd wait, he'd wait. And then he'd switch over here and he'd say, Lord, if I'm saved, show me. I finally got out and I listened to him for a while. I learned what his name was. I said, Tom, would you get up and go home? He said, what? I said, God doesn't save ifers. I said, you've got to step one way or the other. You either believe you are or believe you're not. He said, okay. Two days later. Ooh, his wife called over to the house and uh, she said, Tom told me to call and tell you and that evangelist to come over here right now. And he was sick. need to see. We got over there before he did and when he walked through the door, he was sick all right. But he was that kind of sickness Jesus said. They've got a whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I mean, he was sick all right. And when he walked through that door, I said, what is it, Tom? He said, I'm lost. I said, how do you know you are? He said, I was working my machine today and said, God hit me so hard, buckle my knees. And he said, I know I'm lost. He said, somebody show me the plan of salvation. I told him, Pastor, let's get down there and show it to him. So he passed to get down there and man, I mean, he's a praying and he's doing everything on the heavens and, and, and nothing's working. I mean, absolutely nothing's working. I said, Lord, Help me to help this guy. I don't know what he needs, but he needs something. Give me some scripture. Give me something to help him. Well, when the pastor got through, I knelt down and I said, Tom, 
Salvation is not a plan, it's a person. And the Bible says, but as many as received him, to them gave him power to become the Son of God. And the Holy Ghost showed that to him. And, and I had my arm around him just like this. And literally, my arm was shaking like this. It was so it, much conviction on him. And then all of a sudden, I just heard him say, Lord, I'm lost, save me. Just like you snapped your fingers. My arm went still. And he went still. I was afraid to move. I had to look at him make sure he's still alive. I mean, he wasn't moving. I kept looking at him. He didn't move. Then he started doing this way. We're on our knees. I said, what are you doing? He said, it was there a minute ago. I said, what? He said, my heart. Then he probably said the most profound thing I've ever heard. He said, it wasn't like I thought it was going to be. Here's what he said. I thought when I got saved, I'd shout all over the building. And all I feel is peace. I don't care whether you jump up and down and shout. I don't care what you do when you get saved. But there's one thing you're going to have and all people are going to have. Peace. on this, but that peace is glorious. Because there is a, the Bible talks about a peace with God that never changes. Now you need to understand the word peace. Peace we usually <laughs> illustrate as tranquility and calmness. That's good. That's alright. But that's not what that New Testament word means. It means to take two things that have been separated and tie them together. And when God saves an individual, through Jesus Christ, he ties that person to God. And when he does, that never changes. Hallelujah. It's there in the time of sunshine, but it's there in the time of rain. It's ties, it's there when the sun's shining and it's there when the storm's on. It never changes. It's peace with God. Now the peace of God is something else. Because the peace of God, peace is a fruit of the Spirit. And there may be some times you don't have the peace of God, but there never is a time of what you've got peace with God. All right, but what I'm, what I'm illustrating for us and, and what we're looking at is that when God does that work in the heart just like he does it here, that it is a settled work. But here, 
What we're going to look at today is a religious center. And remember what I said now. Don't let this thing of sight to see become a hindrance to your believing. Somewhere you're going to have to believe to see. Somewhere you're going to have to believe a promise. So I can't do that. You can if you trust the person who gave the promise. But we have trouble trusting because our hearts are deceitful. Mm -hmm. Like for instance, Brother Tommy Taylor right here told me he's going to give me a hundred thousand dollars. And he said to me, Brother Charles, I'm going to give you this hundred thousand dollars tomorrow at two o'clock. Would I have the attitude, well, I sure am going to wait till two o'clock tomorrow and see if I'm going to get it. That's waiting to see it, to believe it. But see, I happen to know Tommy Taylor. I don't know if he's got 100000 or not. But I know Tommy Taylor. Right. And if he were to tell me he's got 100000 I'd believe it. And if he told me, tomorrow at 2 o'clock, i get it. What do you think I'm going to do? Thank you, Tommy. Yeah. When do I have it? Mark 2 or right now? I've already got it. I got it when I believe his promise, not when I put it in my hand. But if I'm going to get it in my hand, I got to believe his promise. And that's where it is in the salvation. There comes a time when a sinner has to believe that Jesus Christ said, I'll save you if you believe. And when you really trust him and believe him, you say, thank you, got it, got it, got it. You don't have to wait to get it in your heart. You believe him. And he's going to put it there. Mm-hmm. So that my faith is not in me, but in him. He said, well, how much faith would you have to believe to get it? It's just according to what my attitude is toward him. If I don't believe I get it, the problem is I don't trust him. And if you want to say, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me is I don't trust him. I don't believe him. I'm telling him, wait until 2 o'clock tomorrow. 2 o'clock tomorrow when you put in there, I'm going to believe I got it. Boy, that sounds like faith. But what if I told him, okay, Tommy, I'm going to wait till tomorrow at 2 o'clock and see whether or not you give it to me. Now, if he really loved me and wanted to give it to me, and was genuine and sincere and give it to me, you know what he'd want? Thankfulness. See, that's the reason why you have to become a little child in order to get saved. Not an adult. Because the older you get, the more skeptical you become. Until you have to just finally become like a little kid and say, Thank you, Daddy. Got it. (laughs) Got it. Mine. See, if a little child really trusts the parent, the parent says to the child, You got it. He said, I got it. I got it. Like the little kid says, Daddy, want ice cream cone? You got it, son. We're going to go and get an ice cream cone today at 2 o'clock. The kid says, oh, daddy said I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. So he runs in to the rest of the kids. Hey, I got an ice cream cone. It's coming at 2 o'clock. The other kid says, I don't see it. <laughs> How do you know you got it? My daddy said so. And my daddy doesn't lie. 
and says, my daddy said, I got it, I got it. Whether I got it in my hand or not, I got it. The only difference of that in salvation is when you believe him, you get it in your hand right then. Amen. You get it in your heart right then. When you believe him and trust him, then you see it. But you won't see it until you believe it. Oh, man. Charles, get off the introduction. I'll never get this series done this week. All right. Let's, let's look at this. There are five things I want to show you out of this story. Number one is the sent preacher. Yeah. Hmm. Now, look at, look at it. verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, say it. Now, well, let, let me point out this right here. This first relationship is between God and his preacher. Okay? The angel is from God. But he's dealing with Philip. He's dealing with the preacher. This is reasoning. It's important that the preachers be what they're supposed to be. Not only with the right message, but the right method. Now I know I can preach a while here, but I want to say this very carefully. Philip had the right message. And Philip knew the right And you never want to entrust your soul or your life in a man's ministry if he doesn't know the right message and the right message. A person says, well, it doesn't matter where I go to church. You don't go to any church or let your children sit under a preacher who doesn't know the right message and have the right method. So it begins with a relationship between God and Philip, his preacher. So that the angel of the Lord is sent to Philip. And the first thing he tells him, arise and go. Isn't it amazing sometimes when the man of God hears from God, the first thing God does is move him. Go, arise and go. Now, I'm not talking about changing churches, though that could happen sometimes. But friend, what you've got to see in this passage of Scripture is that he is a sent preacher. Look, arise and go toward the south and to the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Man, this is the commissioning of God's preachers to a particular place. I'm going to refrain from preaching all there is in this little passage, but would you nod your head when you get it, okay? So I can get off of it. A preacher can't preach just anywhere as good as he can any place else. He's got to be commissioned to a place. And it doesn't do any good to try to leave that place if he hadn't been commissioned somewhere else. I done tried that. (laughs) Not until you hear from heaven can the man of God be in the place where the power of God is. And the unction of the Holy Ghost is. He was commissioned 
by God to go to Gaza, which is desert. Now, something you need to realize by that. He was sent for one person. That's right. Who was this man that God sent to Gaza? Just to one person. See, we have a tendency to think the most spiritual person and the most spiritual preacher is in the place of the multitudes. But you don't know the hearts of the multitudes and you don't know the heart of that preacher who is where the multitudes are. And you don't know by the method he's using whether or not all that is of God. But what about this man? When we see this sick preacher and we look at this obedient preacher, he was, he was an obedient preacher to the commission of God whether he realized what the place was like or not. And who was in the place was immaterial. Philip was going to the place, not for the person in the place, but because of the person who commissioned him to go to the place. Oh, a real genuine, born again, called preacher, commissioned by God. He's in his place because he's been ordained by God to be in that place. And if he's sent there, he can expect some miraculous operations of God in that place. You see, God knew what he's doing. He sent an equipped preacher. You say, what, a, what do you mean an equipped preacher? Now, are you nodding your head? I don't want to stay here long, but look in chapter number 6 and verse number 3, where it says, Look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And Philip was one of them according to verse number 5, and that meant that he was an honest preacher. He was genuine. Man, he was true. And he was full of the Holy Ghost and full of wisdom. And if that doesn't mean anything else, it means he had wisdom enough to recognize the Holy Spirit because he was filled with the Spirit of God. He knew. That if you read in chapter number 8 and verse number 5 when Philip went down and preached Christ into the, to the city of Samaria, the whole city was stirred and moved with the power of God. And the scripture said, and there was great joy in that city. Now listen to me very carefully. This sent man was sent to Samaria and the whole city was in revival. No, better yet, in evangelism. Boy, they were getting saved. They were getting saved. The miracles were working. And the power of God was flowing. God trusted him with the multitude. Then they went back to Jerusalem. When he got back to Jerusalem, God sent his angel and said, Philip, now I want you to go to the wilderness for one person. You see... If he's a God-ordained evangelist, he'll go where there's a multitude or he'll go where there's one. Hey, what are you saying? I'm saying God could trust this preacher.
That's what Paul said about himself. He said, God entrusted me with the glorious gospel of Christ. Oh, God equipped him and he trained him. And he trained him to know how to handle the multitude. But he trained him to know how to, to handle one. See, you don't know what God had in mind. And Philip didn't know what God had in mind with the salvation of this one when he got back to the queen. What impact would he have with the queen and to the land where he was going? Because see, God saves one for the son. You need to understand that. John chapter 4 teaches that. The woman at the well, God saved her, but to reach the whole city of Sychar, she brought them in. And God has a tendency to save one person and use that one person as a first fruit for others to examine themselves and get saved by that. Not saved by the person, but by the operation of God. He said, well, what is the significance of it? I, you know that. Romans 10 teaches us verse 15. How shall they preach except they be saved? Now, you can sit under a man that's not sent, and it's as dead and dry as 4 o'clock in the morning. I tell you, a man that's not sent has no power on him at all. He may be a theologian. He may have his doctor's degree. And he may know all the theology there is as far as intellectual is concerned, but that will not produce salvation in sinners. What needs to happen, friend, is that God needs to send his preacher to a place and in that place work with the people for as long as it takes for God's glory and not his own until he sees them come through. God could trust him with God. Or if I had a prayer today, God, can you trust me? He said, preacher, if you pray that, would he give you a place where there's a multitude? He might just give you the beach hour. I said that for Brother Bob Griffith because he was in Michigan and went to the youth where they're 90% Catholic. You know, some preachers, they say, Lord, you show me where you want me, and I'll tell you whether or not I'm going. And what they're wanting is they want to be tied to a place under the person of the place. But when you're tied to the person who's the Lord Jesus Christ instead of the place, then no matter, regardless of what the place is like, you tied to the person, you stay until the person is true with you in that place. Well, God could trust him. Trust him. But I want you to go to Gaza. So he goes to Gaza. He finds one man, Ethiopian youth, riding his chest. Oh, but now look at verse 29. Then the Spirit said to the Philip, Go in here and join thyself to his chariot. Look, look at that verse. Look at the emphasis on that verse. Go in here and join thyself to this. That little word for join. And by the way, can I say something else? I may as well go ahead and get it all out here while I'm at it. Some preachers don't believe the Holy Ghost can talk to them. Now what do you know? Now that is an issue in some theological circles. They say he influences you, or he impresses you. Well, I don't see in that verse of scripture that where it says, and the Spirit impressed Philip. But I do see where it said, and the Spirit said to Philip. 
I know to settle one thing. Some people say the scriptures and the spirit are synonymous, and they're the same. If you have the scriptures, you have the spirit. But the spirit of God's the one who inspired the scriptures, and we got the spirit talking, and Philip's going to use the scriptures in a minute. You got to have them both, but they're not synonymous. All scriptures given by inspiration of God. We saw that. But watch this. He said, go here and, uh, uh, yeah, go here and join yourself. Not really word for join means to be glued to. This is this is this is the word for cleave. That the scripture talks about like cleave, that dust cleaving to your garment. Have you ever been out on a dusty road when you washed your car? Some of you probably have been on dirt roads. But have you ever been on one of those dusty roads that hadn't had any rain in six months? <clears throat> and you just had a black automobile or a blue automobile or a green or whatever color it is and all of a sudden there's a dust, I mean it's flying everywhere and you don't want it on your car but when you get where you're going off that road you can look at your car, something is cleaving to your car the Holy Ghost said go join yourself the problem with some preachers is they don't know how to get close to their people. The problem with some pastors is they put themselves over here and the people over here and they don't know how to join themselves. To. Because this is the word for fellowship. This is a word that means sharing in their individual lives. And what he tells Philip is, Philip, you go tie yourself to this man. You get in the way he's going and help him in the way he's traveling. Do you know what we do? We try to tell those in their way, come over to our way and we'll help One reason we're trying here to put more of a local emphasis on the people of Phillips County. If I told you how bad Phillips County was, you probably wouldn't even come to this place. But I found out it's not much worse than the rest of it. But I want to tell you something. You're not going to get them out into our way until we know how to get over into their way and help them where they are. I found if you don't have a center, you've got to help them where they are, not where you want them to be. And there's some that just don't know how to cleave to the chariot and go along with until there's a change made. Philip's going to leave out later, but not until he's helping you to say Amen? You understand? But the Spirit said it. Get near. Go near. Get up there. Get close to him. Get close to him. Get, get close to him now. Oh, my. Sometimes we say, well, I'm not going to touch him. I don't believe in going to the casinos with him. And I don't believe in getting with sinners in the ways of the world. But I will tell you something. If you let them contaminate you, at least you think they contaminate you, you won't get close enough to them to even witness to them. 
some of us died today, we are so religious that we pray they're going to contaminate us if we get around them. And I'm not saying you have to buddy up with them. I'm not saying you've got to go where they go. I'm telling you, you've got to love them where they are. And that's a point of making. But the Spirit of God said, go, go, join yourself. Get close to that one. Cling to this, to this one. Get close to them. Number three. First of all, we've got the same preacher. Now we've got the Spirit presence. Third, we've got the sinners pleading. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man would guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. You know what the first thing he did? The sinner, he pleaded ignorant. He said, I've been reading this and I don't understand the thing I'm reading. The word ignorant means without knowledge. Some of us religious centers, we think we know so much. And that's probably what your trouble is. You know more than your faith can handle. Now I'm being critical. I'm not trying to be critical. I believe in knowledge too. I know you've got to understand some things, but the, what he said is this. I don't understand what I'm reading. Because he said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, no, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. He must have been a bad didn't say what he is in here, but he must have been a Baptist. He must have been the first Baptist. And that'll heartbreak, out of my heartbreak, some of those who believe John the Baptist was the first Baptist, you know. <laughs> can, you, can, you hear, can you hear this? Oh, yeah, yeah. But I've seen some Baptists. Man, they've been reading about for years, and they still ain't got it. They don't have any idea what to say. Some of them read their daily Bible reading, check it off and say, hey, I, I read my dad. Bible every day. You ask him what it means. I don't know. Don't give it. But the beauty of this was, he had to be under conviction for him to say, how can I accept some man guide me? What he's literally saying to that preacher is, preacher, help me. Help me. Tell me. Tell me, preacher. Come up here. And the Bible said he desired him. Well, that little word desired means to beg and crave. He just didn't push the preacher off like him and say, oh, get out of here, preacher. And he was down and he said, get up, would, you, would you get up in here with me? Get up and hear me. I need some help. Somebody, somebody, I, somebody died. Somebody got, and most of them, when we get preachers get around, preachers like Dennis when we don't have a Tuesday. Don't need you. Don't need you. Don't need you. You may not need us, but like that Dennis I was talking about, you get a Tuesday, you're not looking for a preacher, you're looking for a dentist. How beautiful the feet of Dennis when you got to do that. Boy, Holy Ghost has been working on him. God's been working on him. He's been reading that Bible ever since he left Jerusalem. Mm, he was searching for an answer. He was looking for an answer. And while he's searching and he's looking, he's not pushing Philip away. He's begging him, would you come up here, get in this chariot with me? And listen to what it says. And he desired him to do what? Come up and sit with him. In other words, he said, Preacher, I'm going to give you a place. Your place is not over here. Come here, Preacher. Sit right by that. Sit right here, Preacher. 
stood with me. That means companionship, fellowship. Sit right here. Show me something. I read it, but I don't get it. Show it to me, preacher. Ooh, what an attitude. What an attitude. Sinners pleading, pleading. Help me. Help me. I'm reading it. I don't get it. Something's going on inside of me. I don't know what to do with it. Help me preach. Sit down right here. Or sit down right here. Sit down right here. Not beside me. Oh, how should they believe in him who did not heard? How should they hear without a preacher? And how shall he preach except to be sinned? Come here, sit, preacher. Come here, sit, preacher. Sit right here. Sit right here, sit, preacher. With me. Man, nobody else may want to, preacher. Nobody else may want to hear what you got to say. Preacher, sit right here with me. There's a place in my chariot. I'll make a room for you, preacher, in my chariot. Right here. Sit here, sit right here, preacher. Sit right here. Sit right here, preacher. Here, here, I've been reading this and I ain't got a thing. Now you take it and show me what it says. Can you see? Oh, can you see that the Ethiopian eunuch had the scriptures that he was reading? Philip wasn't carrying a Bible. The Ethiopian eunuch had the scriptures. So what the Ethiopian unit was saying is, I've had this a long time, and I don't get it. Now, would you help me? Here, I'm going to give it to you. Tell me how you see it. <laughs> Ooh, tell me what you know about it, preacher. Mm. Oh, thank God for an equipped preacher that had enough wisdom. To start at the same scripture that he was reading. Here's the center pleading. Now look at the scriptures presented. He didn't do it without the scriptures. He did it with the scriptures. But the Holy Ghost is in it all. So here we now we've got to switch. He's the open eunuch sitting here. Now the preacher's got the scriptures in his hand. He didn't say, what theological discourse do you want? What would you like to know about the tabernacle? Uh, what would you like to know about our, our religion? Bible says he started at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. That's a wise preacher. So why in the world could he do that? Because he knew Jesus. And he knew about Jesus. And he knew Jesus' method. So he took the scriptures. And he went to the scriptures and he started at the same place. And that Ethiopian was reading, and he talked about Jesus. You say, well, which scripture did he use outside of that? I don't know. You know why? Because I don't care which one of them he used. He was saying, Jesus, 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 
Who's Jesus? Isaiah, Jesus, Ezekiel, Jesus, Micah, Jesus. It don't make any difference where you turn. He said, Jesus, 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 Law, Law, Jesus, Jesus, Prophets, Prophets, Jesus, 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 Passover, Jesus, 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 cover to cover, Jesus, it's Jesus. That one is Jesus forward. Jesus, 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 Jesus. I don't care where you looked at it, it still came out Jesus. I say to you, if you read the Bible and you don't get to Jesus, you don't have a salvation. He's not giving you the name of theological discourse or to educate you. He wants to lead you to Jesus. Just Jesus. It's 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 Jesus. At the beginning, at the end, it's Jesus. He preached to him. Jesus. 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 You're on a little rip this morning. All his name has no sweeter name on mortal tongue than Jesus here. That's right. No other name, Brother Claude. That's exactly right. Magnify that name. It's not Confucius. It's not Buddha. But it's Jesus. Yeah, the method that he used was the Holy Ghost revealing through the Scriptures who Jesus Christ is. And I say to you, if you're after anybody else other than Jesus, you're after the wrong person. If you're after anything rather than the person, you're after the wrong thing. Don't look for a thing. Look for a person. All the Scripture reveals a person, and he's Jesus. Get hung up on Jesus. Think about Jesus. You say, well, I want the salvation. Quit talking about what you want and dwell on Him. It might turn into a glorious gospel if you do. Listen, folks. I don't care how you spell it. From Genesis to Revelation. It comes out J-E-S-U-S. That's what it's all about. He was the Word in the beginning. And He spoke the whole creation into existence. And hallelujah. In the end of Revelation. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And the Lamb in the midst of the throne. And He's the overcomer. And His name is Jesus. Brother Claude just quoted that a few minutes ago. That there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. His name is Jesus. I know of an evangelist who went to Mexico and he couldn't speak Spanish. 
he was with a tour group. Somehow or the other, he got lost off from the rest of them. And in a strange place, he couldn't find anybody who could speak English. If you to heaven, you sadly mistaken. And he might have saved you and your family to reach your family. He might have saved you and your church to reach the rest of your church. He might have saved you and your community to reach the rest of your community. But he has a way of saving one from the sun. And I tell you, God had in his mind the Ethiopian eunuch. But he also had in his mind to take him and send him into a land that needed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he was a carrier and a bearer of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Well. I almost took it all the time. But what we're doing, we're trying to say some things. But I feel that need to be said about salvation. Yes, sir. And I know many of you are lost, and you're searching, and you're looking. But you happen to be in a place where there have been a lot of religious folks saved. Who understand, and they've been there. And we understand the struggles. But I guarantee you we don't understand all things. Sometimes we're as baffled as anybody else is. But I really believe that those scriptures have the answer for us. And I think if we stay them, stay with them after a while, somebody's going to say Jesus. Do you know what sent preachers are going to do? <laughs> They're going to preach about Jesus. They're going to talk about Jesus. Mm-hmm. They don't know much. All they know is Jesus. Well, come on here. I don't want you to have a heart attack, Don. Come here and give it. <laughs> come on. <laughs> Turn this one on, Jim. Hello? Good. I am a religious sinner. Um, I'm an only child. Came from a lost mother and father that loved me very dearly. And uh, no one ever took me to church. I've never been to carried to church by my father nor my mother. Um, I came from promised land. A lot of us is wanting to go there. I have came from promised land. That's literally two folks. Promised land, Arkansas. And uh, so in promised land, there was a missionary that came to the church and she brought flamcraft. And she began to show me Bible stories. Mm, I like that. I wanted a part of that. And I just thought that was the most wonderful thing I had ever seen in my life. And you got to remember, my daddy has never said a prayer in front of me, read a Bible, nor my mother. Now they knew my daddy was very moral. He had moral standards. He taught me to do unto others as I'd have them do unto me. But they just didn't carry me to church. So I began to look out look for a church so when I moved to Blyville I found the biggest Baptist church they had and I looked out a place there with no parents or anything but it didn't bother me so at 12 years of age I decided that I wanted to follow Jesus now nobody pushed me shoved me or anything the pastor of that church lived across the street from me he didn't even know my name so I walked the aisle Wanting to follow Jesus. He didn't tell me anything. Certainly I didn't know I was a sinner. (laughs) 
how would I have known that? I didn't do anything because I had a real strict father that wouldn't allow you to do anything. And I didn't want to displease him. I wanted to obey him. I loved him. So um, when I got ready to get baptized, the preacher didn't even know my name. It was so big. But that didn't bother me. So I have always went to church. And I always wanted to go to church. And so when I moved here, I found a church here. And I went along real well, you know, doing and serving and always taught and helped in Bible school when I was young and did everything. So in the 70s, a lady I knew that I thought was a Christian said that she had got saved. And I said, you got saved? I thought she was already saved. She said, I thought I was too. She said, there's a man that came, and his name is Brother Charles. So she began to tell me what he preached. Well, you know, I didn't like that at all, because I began to think. Now, wait a minute here. What's she trying to tell me? So she, didn't, she just kept on and on. I didn't know no Brother Charles. And after I got through talking to her and she was calling regularly, I was getting very sick and fed up with this Brother Charles. Because you see, God will send a sent man to you. That's me too if you don't know who the Charles is. Uh, So anyway, then I began to get doubts. I didn't think I was lost. How could I be lost? I'd never done anything. But I knew something wasn't right. It worried me a lot. So then I went to talk to the preacher, and I told him, I said, there's something wrong with me. Oh, he said, oh, not you, Shirley. Not the way you teach and the way you come and what you do. He said, I wish the whole church was like you. Well, if he had, they had all been lost. So I have been on my face. I have done the uh, Roman road. I have cried. I have begged. I have pleaded. I worded everything just like I was wanting to. But see where y'all are blessed, it's lost. You have people to talk to you and listen to you. I was ashamed that I wasn't right because I'd try to talk to the preacher. I'd try to talk to family members, and they didn't want to hear it. They said I was right. And just for a little bit, I'd feel pretty good. When I talked to the preacher, I walked out, and I felt pretty good. But, boy, it wasn't about an hour. I felt terrible again. And so I was told in my home, don't discuss this anymore. Because we were big leaders in the church. So I have prayed a lot and cried and I've worded it right. I've confessed everything I knew to confess. I said everything. But I was felt terribly bad. It'd get all right for a little while and then here I'd go again. So this particular Sunday, the pastor was gone. And God sent a man for Shirley. I don't know his name, <laughs> but he preached on grace, <laughs> and I realized what grace was. I couldn't earn it. I couldn't work enough for it. I couldn't pray enough. It was nothing that I could do. It was by grace that you got saved, That's right. and it it really shook me. That's I had I knew the scripture, and I knew what grace was, but not till that man came that day to that church. And by the way, he's never came back again. And I've tried to find out his name, and nobody knows. I guess he was a preacher and not an angel. I don't know. But he was a messenger sent for me. So I got under such conviction 
that I held on to that pew, but I knew better than go because I'd be in trouble if I 